Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind our listeners that we do have two event series that they can go and attend and learn more about the topics covered in this podcast. The first one is called the Strata Data Conference, which you can find at strataconf.com. The second one is the Artificial Intelligence Conference, which you can find at the AIConf.com. In this episode of The Data Show, I sat down with Vitaly Gordon. He is VP of Data Science and Engineering at Salesforce. As the use of machine learning becomes more widespread, we need tools that will allow data scientists to scale so they can tackle many more problems and help many more people. Uh, to that end, we need automation tools for the many stages involved in data science, including data preparation, feature engineering, model selection, hyperparameter tuning, and of course, monitoring models when they get deployed to production. The proliferation of models is still a theoretical consideration to many data science teams, but Vitaly and his colleagues at Salesforce already support hundreds of thousands of customers who need custom models built on custom data. So we'll talk about these topics along with their new tool called Transmogrify, a library which they open source. It sits on top of Apache Spark. And just to emphasize, a lot of these topics are also going to be covered next year at our Strata Data conferences, beginning uh, with uh, Strata Data in San Francisco in March and then London in late April. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Vitaly Gordon, Vice President of Data Science and Engineering for Einstein at Salesforce. Uh, welcome to the data show. Hi, Ben. It's great to be here. So, as I uh, as I uh, tried to remember how we first met, I think we first met around two, 2013, maybe because I kind of became program chair of Strata in early 2014. And in fact, uh, you taught a tutorial. You were still doing a lot of hands-on work back then, or something related to Scala, I believe, and data, Scalding, maybe, and data pipelines, is that? Yes, it was Scalding, kind of the precursor for Spark. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, actually, the first time I ever probably ran into you, you might have been still talking about how inside LinkedIn, you, you folks were starting to use crowdsourcing services for data. Is that is that possible? Yeah, that, that's true. I definitely, uh, I gave a talk uh, once about, I think we have uh, very interesting use cases there. So uh, that was definitely a topic uh, that I had and still have a great passion for. Yeah, yeah. And actually, uh, those services are still very much around. They've kind of pivoted over to data for deep learning, like images and things like that. But uh, I think clearly uh, companies need training data, right? Yes, definitely. Uh, one of the things I uh, always talk about uh, that you know, companies talk about how much data is growing. But if you think about all the labeled data in the world, all of the kind of open data sets, uh, they kind of probably can fit on your phones. So actually, the growth there uh, was not uh, as exponential as the growth of unlabeled data. And people don't talk that much about it. So fast forward, leapfrogging multiple years. So you you're now at your role at Salesforce. So describe for us briefly, uh, what does your current role entail? So I lead, uh, like you mentioned, engineering and data science for what we internally refer to as the Einstein platform, which I think for your listener, the 
easiest way to describe it is kind of Salesforce like what um, Einstein platform to Salesforce is kind of like what Michelangelo is to Uber or FBLearn to Facebook. It's our internal platform that our internal data scientists and also differently than maybe the others, our customers also build machine learning use cases on top because there are a lot of problems, as we all know, a lot of problems just share commonality between them that are not just about the modeling. And in the enterprise space, these are actually, there are a lot of problems that need to be solved that are shared between pretty much any product you build. So so as you mentioned, uh, Einstein is your internal data science platform and uh... And our listeners are probably also aware of the other ones that you mentioned, Michelangelo from Uber and then FB Learner at Facebook. So at what point do you think an internal data science platform starts to make sense? Like, do you have to have a large team of data scientists? So that's a great question, Ben. It's actually the point I would say the first from an organization organization. Definitely the amount of people is one um, one aspect, but we also had a lot of data scientists uh, at LinkedIn. But for example, that did not necessarily uh, exist there. I would say it's more about how much commonality between the uh, every single use case, like how many of the problems are redundant and repeatable, and that is, I think, uh, what usually springs platform teams in organizations. So it doesn't matter what your position is in the whole centralized versus dispersed data science. Yeah, these are, I would say, definitely related. And usually when you see centralized team, uh, platforms tend to emerge more. But I I would say in in Salesforce, we have a very kind of a distributed model. And we have all data scientists uh, teams uh, in every single kind of business unit. But the problems are just tend to repeat uh, themselves again and again. And uh, a lot of the data scientists solve problems that honestly have a lot to do with engineering, a lot uh, to do with things that are not pure modeling. And like I said, this is uh, usually you want to get economy of scale. So you start a platform. So we rattled off examples of these internal data science platforms, uh, of which Einstein is one. But actually, as as uh, uh, you were talking, I just realized Netflix just announced theirs, uh, Twitter announced theirs, and of course, Google has one of their own. And it seems like one of the common factors here, Vitaly, is these are all San Francisco Bay Area tech companies. Yeah, you don't hear much about internal data science platforms for regular enterprise. It seems like regular enterprises end up going with a vendor like a Databricks or some other related company. So what was the decision making behind Einstein in the whole build versus buy? Quite honestly, Ben, and probably anyone else can say it, uh, but we just felt that our problem is uh, so unique, especially that we are, uh, the other companies you have mentioned, you can see all of them are actually consumer companies, and we are an enterprise uh, company. And we just, uh, while we use a lot of vendors and a lot of open source uh, technologies, the problem itself is so unique that we couldn't just find you know, a single one-stop shop uh, to solve our problems. So the Uber people, as I recall, when I talked to them, the whole Michelangelo thing came down to, well, I think there's a lot of other factors, but one of the major factors was uh, they just had so many internal systems, it would be hard to integrate with a software as a service. That is definitely true. And I would say for our 
in our case is also our the data that we process is not actually our data it's our customers data and it was you know salesforce was one of kind of the the, the companies that pioneered the whole cloud concept so we had to build a lot of trust along the way to get our customers to share their data with us and obviously kind of extending the trust to you know just for our vendors is not something that is trivial so recently you folks announced a service i think it's now an open source project as well but you can correct me yes on top of uh, einstein called transmogrify so we can go into some detail about this but at a high level uh, what does transmogrify aim to solve so in one sentence uh, transmogrify is an automated machine library for mostly structured data. And the problem that it aims to solve, the problem that we have solved is that we have hundreds of thousands of customers. And while all of them share common set of data, the Salesforce platform by itself is also extremely customizable. And actually, 80% of the data that sits inside the Salesforce platform is actually sits in what we refer to as custom object we think about as you know custom tables in a in a database and when we wanted to build also because of the privacy uh, regulation that we have we don't build models that are shared between customers we always use that single customer data we have hundreds of thousands of models potentially that we we need to build and because of it we just have to automate the entire process we just cannot throw people at the problem and we basically created Transmogrify that automates that entire process end-to-end for creating a model for the user. And we decided to open source it a couple of months ago. So for uh, listeners who aren't as familiar with the Salesforce platform, I guess one question they might have is, uh, so our company has data inside Salesforce and we need a model. Why do we need Salesforce to build the model? Why can't we just integrate one of our favorite machine learning tools and build the model ourselves? So <laughs> that's a great question, Ben. Um, but it's also, I would say, kind of a fairly uh, Silicon Valley perspective <laughs> on, the pro- on the problem, right? And the thing is, we have hundreds of thousands of customers. And if you now think about how many of them have dedicated data science teams, you will find that it's a very small fraction. And what we found interestingly is actually even the Silicon Valley companies that do have dedicated data science team, a lot of these data science teams usually work on their products uh, as opposed to trying to uh, automate the things around the customer relationship management aspect of their business. So we actually, one thing is think about the team, the sales team, service team, marketing team inside a large company that now needs uh, to use machine learning to optimize their business, they can either hope for the internal data science team to prioritize their use cases and build it, or like the discussion we had before, the build versus buy, they can just use Salesforce and Salesforce already comes with these capabilities. So you hinted at something that actually um, uh, makes the problem transmogrify is trying to solve somewhat unique and very interesting in the sense that what you're primarily dealing with is structured data, which is great. But then uh, it's all, uh, there's a lot of uh, variety because each, each customer may have custom structured data. Yes. And so there's no, it's not like uh, 
there's a universal model for, hey, uh, let's do a model for churn, which we deploy across all customers. No, so we actually do that. That's exactly what we do. We do a model, for example, churn is a great example of uh, how we deploy. But the thing is, the churn for a telco company and a churn for, let's say, you know, a mom and pop's uh, honey shop are actually will be very, very different from basically pretty much anything, right? It will have a, a different schema. It will have a different, you know, positive label distribution. It will have different processes. It will require different feature engineering. But this is what we want to offer to the software's customer that their platform, you know, is now smart. So we had to tackle all of these problems. And like I said, because of the scale, we just had to automate it. Of course, uh, the people who are at, who are listening who actually build models know that model building is unfortunately a series of steps. In the ideal world, of course, you have your data nice uh, in nice shape, and then you just start modeling. But uh, so then, how does transmogrify work at a high level? So do you automate the entire pipeline? So we do automate the entire pipeline. And when I say, well, Transmogrify is the key piece that we open source with deals with the, the model, actually the larger Einstein platform deals with uh, everything from you know data acquisition, cleansing, all of the manipulation, and including the scoring infrastructure. And we scale it from, you know we have customers that are extremely large to customers that are very small, and all of the operational aspect of it is completely behind the scenes to the users. So we deal with all these aspects on top on top of the model. But the, the really the thing about the model, the kind of secret sauce that Salesforce has, which is very unique, that every data piece that goes into Salesforce actually comes also with a lot of metadata attached to it. So for example, we don't the records fields at Salesforce are not just tagged as strings or integers. They are tagged like phone number or email or kind of uh, other things, address, uh, and we can use that metadata. So even if we don't exactly know what this data is, to actually perform feature engineering on top of that data and to get fairly good results. And actually, Transmogrify is interesting because it actually automates a lot of the things that are, I hate to say it, uh, kind of uh, mundane and but necessary, you know, like feature validation. And things exactly. like this, right? So, I mean, so that uh, if you wish someone could automate that for you, you'd probably jump on the opportunity right away, right? And then, uh, obviously, there's the model selection, but the steps that happen before the model selection are all automated as well. Exactly, yes. So, what is the state of Transmogrify as an open source project? Like, what is exactly open source? Transmogrify, uh, I haven't uh, maybe mentioned it, but it's a it's a library on top of uh, Spark, so you can use it uh, within your Spark pipelines. You can just add it, and you know, for example, just make your Spark pipeline now do automated feature engineering with really just a handful of lines of code. So technically, every single project that already uses Spark can easily integrate Transmogrify. But the way we kind of use it internally is, like you said, there are a lot of mundane operations that are required. And really, the one thing that you need to kind of inject into your pipeline is the domain expertise. And the domain expertise usually comes from knowing just what, let's say, kind of the fields and the objects that are relevant to your problem and what is the optimization function that you're trying to predict and you know whether you want to maximize minimize or whatever it is 
And that is uh, that is pretty much it. And we already have, you know, kind of many teams uh, inside the company using it in order to build their product. And also we're now working with companies outside since we open source to actually, they are using it uh, as well in various uh, degrees uh, of adoption to kind of uh, automate the machine learning uh, aspects. And mostly we're talking about other companies that are, have a lot of data engineers and maybe don't have as many data scientists and then kind of want to get their foot in the door for the machine learning parts and all even uh, kind of data scientists that don't like a lot of the, like what you mentioned, the mundane work of it. So I, I, w- I want to talk about some uh, use cases uh, in a second, but uh, what was the decision like to open source? Was that a difficult decision internally that you had to sell or because uh, I think uh, our listeners are probably aware of other Silicon Valley companies who open source many projects right and left, but maybe not so much Salesforce. So walk us through the decision to open source. So the decision to open source was that actually it was a fairly uh, simple decision. We we just saw what we created and it was uh, kind of very, uh, surprisingly, it was very unique, even though uh, after spending years on this problem, we just realized there are more and more frameworks to deal uh, kind of that do maybe similar automated machine learning, but pretty much all of them focus on unstructured use cases. And pretty much every single company uh, has also structured use cases, but there is just nothing there we consume. So we definitely saw a place for Transmogrify uh, to be there. And since Salesforce is also a huge uh, user of open source, we also contribute back to open source, and the decision was actually fairly simple, and there was there wasn't a lot of selling required to open source it. The what it kind of took us some time. We just wanted to get it in the shape where you know we feel that it's ready to be shared and it actually can be useful for a lot of companies out there. When you get to the point where you're going to do the automatic model selection, what universe of models is it trying on your data? I guess to clarify, because uh, there's there's uh, machine learning libraries that are associated with Spark. So are you limited to, is it searching only those machine learning models? The default, when we just started, uh, it was uh, kind of, yes, Spark, because they were just good enough. And what we honestly, Ben, what we found is the is the feature engineering part and a lot of the things are, are, that we do around sampling is actually had a lot more impact on the final accuracy of the model than the models we try. And then also the hyperparameter tuning, which was kind of amazing to see how easy it is to get a completely useless model if you just you know randomly select the wrong hyperparameters. Uh, but now, if I'm not mistaken, there is even actually a contribution from uh, outside now that is going through the um, PR review process uh, for XGBoost and uh, other candidates as well. So it's actually not limited to just uh, sparking on models. So what are some of the use cases that you are aware of outside of Salesforce? So uh, let's see. So we have, and you know, forgive me for maybe not mentioning the names. Because yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that's uh, fine. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, but uh, we have kind of a, a communication company here in the Valley uh, where uh, they are actually trying to predict whether a call that uh, people are making uh, using their platform kind of will fall through. That is one uh, use case. 
And again, these are kind of the reason it's mostly, you know, structured metadata. It's not so much about. So these use cases, uh, Vitaly, are, are things that you folks at Salesforce just end up hearing about since you released the project, right? So it's not like you actively uh, were out there evangelizing. No. So definitely we give talks and such uh, about the subject, but it's not that we were going and so like these are, we made the announcement and then uh, we see people are asking questions on public boards and, you know, we asked them about their use case and that was kind of, you know, one of them. And, uh, and so then inside the Salesforce platform, do the people who use Transmogrify, do they use it without actually knowing they're using it? In other words, are they writing code or is it just... Uh... Because I imagine inside Salesforce, there's many levels of users, right? Yeah, and that's a that's a great uh, question. So we definitely have internal data scientists that are not only using it, but also contributing and you know adding uh, more sophisticated feature engineering, more more models to select. So that is, uh, let's call them the power users. But we also have a product that we created that's called Prediction Builder, which is literally a wizard with kind of a handful of steps. I think it's three or four where people go and say, well, this is my problem. This is kind of the object uh, I'm interested in. And this is the field inside the object, whether it's, and we detect automatically if it's a binary, then say binary classification. If it has, if it has just a few values, then it's a multi-class classification. If it's a number, then it's a regression problem. But they just kind of click next, 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 and they get a complete end-to-end, not just model, they get a complete end-to-end pipeline that every time a new record is added, that record is retrieved, scored, written back. And then because of the the rest of the Salesforce platform, they can add processes on top of it. At this point in uh, the data science community, there's a lot of people concerned about topics like privacy and fairness and explainability. So I imagine, forgive me because I'm not as, uh, I haven't tried Transmogrify yet. I imagine at some point, some of these things will be available within Transmogrify in the sense that, for example, maybe Transmogrify will at least go through your data and make sure you're aware of the distribution, if there's any bias in your training data, or maybe you can request that Transmogrify only give you an explainable model and things like that. So what's the state of these these things inside Transmogrify? So that's a great question, Ben. So if you go to the front page of Transmogrify, you will see that even the example that we show not only gives you a model, but actually most of the text you get back is actually about explainability, why this model is correct. So that is something that we build pretty much from day one into the product because all of our customers who are not necessarily practicing data scientists, and you know most of them are very far from it, they need a way to trust the model, especially considering that a lot of the processes that people use on the Salesforce platform are extremely kind of sensitive processes. And basically, you run your business today on Salesforce. So if your model tells you to, for example, call the wrong contacts, you will have a bottom line impact on it. You know, salespeople will not get compensated adequately if uh, your model makes mistakes. So this is something we really invested in uh, since day one. On top of that, you also mentioned uh, a lot of things we do is around that also Transmogrify comes with is detecting um, uh, leakers um, in in the data set because some people have processes. Sometimes uh, you have these uh, uh, label leakage effects. So we also run a lot of uh, kind of data correlation 
So one interesting aspect of it is uh, one, of, like I said, in our product, Prediction Builder, you, you can uh, choose which columns or fields to exclude from your model, let's say, through uh, because of regulations right, or compliance reasons. We actually can tell you, Transformer will tell you that, you know what, you, this, you ask us to exclude this column, but we also find five other columns that have very high degree of correlation. These are custom. We don't know what they are, but they are very uh, correlated to the thing you ask us to exclude. You know, you might consider excluding them as well. And that is, again, uh, something that uh, customers are very interested in. So, so as we were emailing back and forth about uh, doing a podcast, one of the points you made is that data science Enterprise data science is challenging and different. So explain uh, what you mean by that. So uh, I kind of touched on some of the points uh, throughout our conversation, but I think uh, to me, and this is really the the eureka moment of why we even need something like uh, Trustmography, is when I realized that I now need to build a, a model or maybe you know many, many different models for the same problem because... You know, unlike consumer companies, we cannot just take all of our customers' data and just mix it. A, we, we don't do it due to privacy reason, but also it doesn't make sense because the way people use enterprise platforms tends to be very, very different than the way people use consumer platforms. So two people who use Facebook, it doesn't matter what their background is, they probably use it very much a lot. They like things, they comment on things, they view things, right? So you have a very kind of homogeneous data set. In the enterprise platform, like I said, pretty much if you take two data sets and about the same exact problem, let's say uh, lead qualification, you know, trying to predict which lead will uh, turn into a customer, uh, they will have less than 20% of their data, kind of uh, the intersection of the same data. Like most of the data will be data that is specific to that, uh, to that company. So in, because of that, we needed to automatically create and generate a unique model for every customer that is based on their data. But like I said, due to the sheer scale of the amount of customers, you have to automate it. So now that, let's say, you, you automated, then you now face with all of the engineering aspects of, you know, what does it mean to run thousands and thousands of models in production? Right. There are engineering limitations. And like I said, again, because our customers are also not so much uh, data scientists, but they are administrators. They're the people who, you know, work with Salesforce. They don't know anything about, let's say, you know, kind of computational capacity. Like, for example, we run Spark jobs for them if they, in case of Spark. You know, they don't tell us how large our cluster need to be. This is everything is automated behind the scenes for them. So these are a lot of these challenges and the sheer number of uh, models and applications that exist in the enterprise space is just very, very different. If you take, you know, hundreds of thousands of customers and multiply it by, you know, dozens of use cases, you are quickly get into the millions and millions of potential models you will have in production. Yeah, and, and actually it's uh, funny that you say that, you know, because uh, take one model and imagine that it's important to you, then you would probably need to monitor that model. You need to know when you need to retrain it. You need to know when uh, there's a uh, concept drift. In other words, you need to make sure you have monitoring tools in place, that you're paying attention to that one model. But now you're talking about uh, many, many more models. And the user who's uh, responsible for these models uh, vary in background and, and uh, capability, right? So in terms of data science. So, so what are the tools in place for uh, companies who who suddenly 
are in a position where they have these models out there and they need to make sure that they're paying attention to what's happening to their models? It's a great question. And we have different uh, degrees, again, based on the sophistication of the users. In some cases, you actually, uh, we try to automate all of it behind the scenes. Like, for example, we automatically detect a drift. We automatically know when to a model needs to be refreshed. We detect that suddenly there is, you know, a, a change in distribution of the data that maybe in some cases a company introduced a new product, right? And things like that, a lot of it just happens. And we, the information you get back from us is more about, you know, your model is still doing well. Because even if we gave you all of that information, a lot of the words I just mentioned, the customer won't know what to do with them. But then we have the kind of more low-level information for the developers of this model, the one that used the platform in order to build these products. And even then, some of the tooling that we need to provide, thinking you're a developer, but now your product, the one you is now generates a unique model for every single customer, and you now have thousands of them. So for example, we cannot show them dashboards because a dashboard will have thousand lines, thousand lines, so it will be completely unreadable. So we now need to give them dashboards with a built-in anomaly detection and built-in alerting because now the way you don't look, because no our customers don't look at one thing. They look at many, many different things because, again, they have multiple customers themselves. You have data science inside Salesforce before Transmogrify and after Transmogrify. So should our listeners be worried that the data science is getting automated away? Or is it just the role of the data scientists will change in the future? No, so it's definitely more the latter, Ben, because I think you hit the nail on the head where you said that a lot of the work that data scientists do is actually fairly mundane and it's work that can you know computers can do very well and help with and i think really what the data scientists at least the way we we saw even our own data scientists they more advanced and actually having kind of more a intimate relationship with customers and really understanding the the customer needs and then being able to translate them to tooling as opposed to because you know the better tooling we have and this is you know true throughout history the more we can do and actually you know it just opens up the appetite so i think uh, we won't have any problem with data science jobs anytime soon Yeah, I think just like with any of these tools for automation that involves machine learning and AI, I think that means the data scientists will be able to scale and become more productive and efficient, right? Exactly. I think one of the analogy you know we use is uh, many years ago, uh, the software engineers had to worry about memory, and then you know came garbage collection, but you know jobs software engineer jobs did not disappear right it's just now just say one software engineer can do so much more than they could have 20 years ago right so that is definitely what i see will happen with data science as well well vitaly gordon this has been a great conversation thanks for joining us thank you great being here then you can follow vitaly gordon on twitter at vitaly gordon thanks for joining us if you like the show Please subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud or Spotify and never miss an episode.